Good morning, everyone. It's great to see so many of you here and some new faces as well. Thank you, Cecily and Cody, for leading us in worship. Um, I want to tell you a story about a father that had two sons. Their names were Timmy and Tommy. So Timmy, on the one hand, was an extreme optimist. Everything that came his way in life, he saw in a positive light. He saw through rose-colored glasses. Even when bad things happened, he was still able to pull something good out of it. There was always a, a silver lining to everything. Now his brother Tommy, on the other hand, was a complete opposite, extreme pessimist. Nothing ever good happened, and when something seemed good, he could always find something bad in it. And so for years, their father had tried to, you know, even these two sons out. He was concerned for Timmy on the one hand that when he hit his 30s or 40s, that the reality of life would set in and he would just be crushed, be devastated by the stress and the sorrow that so often come. On the other hand, for Tommy, he wanted him to see that, you know, well, bad things do happen, that there is good in life. Not all is bad. And so his hope was that a little bit of Tommy would rub off on Timmy, and a little bit of Timmy would rub off on Tommy. And he tried all sorts of things over the years to no avail. But then as Christmas came along one year, he came up with this genius idea. His plan was that that year for Christmas, he would buy his pessimist son, Tommy, just an extravagant amount of gifts. And he'd put them all under the tree, and hopefully this would once and for all convince him that, yes, there is joy to be had in life. There is good. There are things worth getting excited about, right? But for Timmy, he was going to buy but one gift. And in his stocking, he was going to place horse dung. Model father to this father, of course, right? So Christmas Eve comes along, his two sons go to bed, and the father gets busy, right? He starts wrapping and wrapping and wrapping and wrapping and finally finishes preparing all these gifts and puts them under the tree for Tommy. And then for Timmy, he goes to his freezer, pulls out that bag, and puts it in that stocking for his son, Timmy. And then he goes to bed. Early the next morning, he's awoken by the sound of his two boys in the living room. And he comes down and he's thinking to himself, finally, I'm gonna even out my two sons. Lo and behold, he finds his son, Tommy, scowling and complaining. Tommy, what's wrong? Why aren't you excited? You got everything you ever wanted and more. Aren't you happy? No. These gifts, there's, there's too many of them. Won't be able to keep up with everything. and I'm going to have too much fun and they're all going to break anyways. And then there was Timmy on the other hand, who was dancing and prancing, holding his bag, shouting, I got a pony! I got a pony! <laughs> yeah, no. Over the course of our lives, 
we've all received different gifts, right? Some were maybe great gifts, things we had wanted for a long, long time. Others were maybe not what we always wanted. Um, hopefully they weren't as bad as receiving cow dung. But we've received a variety of different gifts. This morning I want to present to you that the greatest gift uh, we could ever receive comes from our Father in Heaven. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18 this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. Uh, but I also invite you to stand as we read through our passage this morning. So that's Acts 11, 1 to 18. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing uncommon or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa, and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You can take your seats. So from our text this morning, I want to show you a couple reasons why salvation is the greatest gift that we could ever receive. Let me pray for us before we dive into our text this morning. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it contains. Thank you that this is not just some old book that has nothing to do with us today, but that its truths apply powerfully to each one of us this morning. Would you come by your spirit and speak to us at this time? And we pray that ultimately that you would be glorified 
through all we say and do here this morning. Amen. So the first point, one of two that I want to present to you this morning, is one that you might be familiar if you've been here the past couple weeks, but it is again that salvation is available to all. So this is our third week back in this narrative in Acts, Acts 10 to 11, verse 18. And if you've been here the last couple weeks, there's been lots of repetition, right? But it's with a very specific purpose that we keep hearing these stories, that Peter retells it, or that we hear Cornelius' story again, is that Luke is trying to make this massive truth known that now, at this time, that salvation was being opened up to the Gentiles. You see, for, for centuries, it was believed that salvation belonged to the Jews. These were God's people. But that to be saved, to, to yeah, gain salvation, one had to become a Jew. And so there were certain things that one had to do. They had to be circumcised. They had to eat kosher foods, follow dietary laws. But now we see just this, this incredible moment where God is opening up that door to everyone. You do not have to become a Jew now to, to know Jesus in a saving way. And so Peter comes from Caesarea and other places. He comes now to Jerusalem and he brings this report. But the first thing that happens is problems arise. You know, it's, it's so ironic. You read the first verses here. And Peter comes announcing how the Gentiles had received the word of God. Like, this is amazing, right? You would think that the church in Jerusalem would just be overjoyed. But what's their response? It's criticism, right? Verse 3, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. How dare you, Peter? You know better than this. Now, on the surface, this can seem very petty to us, right? It can seem to us like these guys are majoring in minors. What about this, this the greatest miracle of all? Salvation has been poured out. And, and you're caring about the fact that Peter ate with them? But we have to go back to a couple weeks ago, right? Where we talked about how, you know, in Leviticus and all the, the law, the Old Testament, God had clearly commanded that God's people, the Jews, should live in certain ways. And so they should only eat certain foods. They should not eat delicious bacon. <laughs> so while it might seem petty, really this circumcision party, which would have been just a group of Jewish believers who were, they were concerned with keeping the law. And, and rightfully so, because the law was there to, to make them holy, right? To set them apart. So we have to have to navigate this in that, okay, you have to realize what God is doing, but also realize that they were standing up for what they had known for centuries. But we see as they, they bring up these criticisms, that Peter comes and, and verse 4, we're told, he began and he explained it to them in order. And so he goes back and, and he recounts what we've heard already in Acts chapter 10. Peter had been up on a rooftop praying, and then, in this, and then God had given him this vision where in a, in a trance, the sheet is lowered, and it's got all sorts of animals in it, but animals that are unclean, animals that he was commanded not to eat. And so through this vision, God is showing him not only that, 
Now all foods are made clean. Now as a Jew, you can eat bacon, Peter, but also that all peoples are now made clean. You do not have to be circumcised. You do not have to follow, follow kosher dietary laws to follow Christ. It's this incredible moment where the gospel is opened up to everyone. Yeah, hallelujah, that's right. And so Peter is sharing this with the brothers, and he's also telling them, we get one new uh, factor in our text today in that Peter is not alone in this. He was sent to Cornelius' house with six other believers. So we have at least seven brothers presenting to the church in Jerusalem. This is what happened. This is what God did. This is how he poured out the Holy Spirit. And then finally we see how the response changes. It goes from that, that harsh criticism, how dare you eat with Gentiles, all the way to they feel silent. And then they glorified God and they conclude and recognize that to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Salvation from this point on is now available to everyone, everywhere. Praise God. Now I want to apply this truth, once again, uh, to two particular groups of people here this morning. So the first one is those of us who take that for granted. Uh, if I speak from personal experience, I think normally I, I take this truth for granted. You know, I'm growing up 2,000 years after Christ, after this has all happened. Um, I don't know if there's any Jews in the house, but if you're not a Jew, that makes you a Gentile. And we just, we've understood our whole lives that salvation is available. That's never a question that we had. But yet, even though you and I, uh, you know, we're here, maybe many of us have grown up in, in Christian families, maybe not, but we're here in Canada, we're in a place where the gospel is readily available, that wouldn't necessarily have had to been the case. You and I could very easily have been born into a Muslim family in Morocco where there's little gospel presence. And we may have never heard the good news of Jesus. Or we could have been born in a Canaanite family 3,000 years ago with parents who, who feared God. They recognized there was a creator out there and they wanted to get to know him. Maybe similar to Cornelius, who was a God-fearer. And so they had sought out this God, and, and they had searched here, and they had looked there, and they had come upon this Jewish God, the Lord, Yahweh. But, you know, as they sought, they found that there's just so much religion, there's so many laws separating us from this God. Uh, I don't think we want anything to do with him. So may I encourage us to develop a new and an attitude of, of gratitude, of gratefulness, that to all of us here this morning, salvation is readily available in the name of Jesus. Now there's a second group I want to apply this, this massive truth to this morning, and that is to those that might feel unworthy of salvation. Um, beginning of this year, our family was uh, living in Manitoba. 
in middle of January, I wrapped up my time serving at the church that I served there for four and a half years. And then I began to work at a internet slash TV provider company uh, there in, in southern Manitoba. And so I often felt like a uh, hypocrite and an imposter because up to that point, my wife and I hadn't owned a TV. We had a little laptop that we'd watch TV on. And I'd walk into people's houses and they'd say, hey, the TV guy's here. Yeah, buddy, I don't even have a TV. But it was my job to set up their TV for them. Anyways, <clears throat> started working at this job. And my goal going in uh, was to be very intentional in shining for Jesus. Uh, well, as an uh, install technician, I mostly worked alone. There were times when we worked together with some of the other guys. There were about 12 of us uh, installers. And so I really wanted just to, to love on these guys, to point them to Christ. Uh, these guys came from all sorts of different backgrounds. Some came from very legalistic Mennonite homes. Others were complete atheists and totally against the truth. Uh, one of these young guys that I worked with, I'll call him Jordan, uh, was a taller, bigger guy. He was a loudmouth. Uh, and most of the words he said were profanities. And so I was shocked when the one day I, I did end up working with him, a couple weeks in, uh, I heard him declare unashamedly to another coworker and I that at the end of one's life, uh, there were either, there were two options. One would end up either in, in heaven with God or in hell apart from him. And the difference or how that was all decided was your response to Jesus. And this baffled me because verbally he's affirming the gospel, but in life, uh, you know, his words did not, did not affirm it. Um, he was someone that smoked constantly and on the weekends always went and drank and partied. And so these things did, did, just did not line up for me. Now fast forward several weeks, maybe a couple months, um, March, April, we were now watching Central Online actually and, and Pastor Matt had preached a sermon encouraging us to evangelize, right? To be witnesses that week. And so I remember my wife and I praying in our living room after watching uh, the service there and just asking God for opportunities that week for open doors to share the gospel. And I was praying specifically for an open door with my coworker, Jordan. Later on in the week, uh, Jordan and I got assigned to a job together. It was about a half an hour away from our works office. And so I tried to push so that we could carpool together but because of company policy, COVID, that was not allowed. So we start driving out there. I'm following him in his little work SUV. And when you know it, all of a sudden, this gray cloud erupts from his vehicle and he pulls over. He had blown his engine. I praised God. Have you ever praised God for a blown engine? <laughs> So ended up, he jumped in in my vehicle, we went and we did this job, and then we started driving back, and I was getting nervous, like, God, this is the opportunity that I've been praying for. Here is that open door. And so after praying some more and preparing myself mentally, I finally looked over and, and said, Jordan, can I ask you a personal question? Yeah, sure, what's up? And so I just asked him, 
how is it that you can affirm the gospel in, you know, in, in truth, but, but in your life not reflect that in any way? And I was ready for this guy to throw punches, right? Swear me out, ask me to pull over, and he would get out. His response was quite the opposite. Our conversation got deep. He began to share with me struggles that he'd only shared with a couple other individuals. And he shared things that to him were just too shameful. He felt that he was unworthy of Christ's salvation. And even though he had heard the truth, he just thought, no, I, I can't. Why, why, would, why would God save me? And so for the rest of our ride, I just tried to communicate to him, tried to tell him that, you know, that's exactly the point. None of us are worthy, right? That is why God sent his one and only son. That is why Jesus went to the cross to pay the price that we could never pay. He paid the price of our sins. He purchased salvation for us and then rose from the grave victorious over sin, death, and Satan three days later. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. It's this amazing, wonderful truth. Salvation is not something that we can earn. But now as I come to my second point, salvation is God's gift. We're going to listen once again to the last couple verses of our text this morning and just listen for the language, the type of language that is used here. Verses 17 and 18. This is Peter wrapping up his explanation to the circumcision party. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. I tried to emphasize it there quite a bit, but did you catch the, the gift language? This is something that God gave, something that repentance that God granted. So how do gifts work? Exactly. Remember about six, seven years ago, uh, earlier on in, in our marriage, I was talking with a pastor about giving gifts. And at that point, earlier on in our, our marriage, I love to be all romantic with gift giving and really like to surprise my wife with the gifts that I gave. But this pastor, who'd been married for, for longer, was saying how the way he and his wife did gifts, especially say at Christmas time, was that he would buy all of his own gifts and she would buy all of her own gifts and then they would give it to each other and the other would wrap him and then, surprise, here's what you bought yourself. I thought this was so contrived. This is not at all romantic. There's no surprise in it. And I told him, that's stupid, I remember telling him. Well, Mandy and I did, it, did gifts that way the next Christmas. <laughs> 
But that's not how gifts work, right? A gift is not something that I buy and then I give to you and you give back to me this like contrived thing where, you know, yeah, it's, it's just not that. A gift is something that someone puts thought into and love into and, and thinks about what it is that, that you might want or need and then lovingly, out of their own pocket, goes and purchases that gift and then gives it to you, undeserved. There's no, no price that you pay. That's the same way that salvation works, right? This is something that God freely gives to us. And something that is, is stuck out to me from Acts 10 to 11 is the way in which God gives us that gift. Now, as as human beings, there's a responsibility on our behalf to repent of our sins, right? To turn from our sins and then in faith to accept this gift from God. But in these chapters, we see that God also takes his own initiative in offering us the gift of salvation. And I want to highlight just a couple ways uh, in, in this narrative in which God does that. So the first one is Peter's vision, right? We've We've read and repeated how Peter went up onto this rooftop and he's there praying and then he's given this vision. But you have to to understand that this vision was nothing that he would have ever dreamed up. This is completely opposed to what, what he wanted. It's challenging views that he had firmly established. But here God is initiating the outpouring of salvation to the Gentiles, to everyone. And you could go even a step further. God is very intentional in giving this vision to Peter, not to any other individual, but to Peter, one of or the head of the church, so that then when he goes to the church with the witness of these other six brothers, this is firmly and conclusively established that Indeed, God is initiating this salvation for everyone. A second factor would be God's initiative in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let me read for you uh, Acts 10, verses 44 to 46. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then again, in our passage this morning, Acts 11, verse uh, 15, we hear again Peter summarizing how the Holy Spirit came. He writes, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. The way in which God pours out his spirit on Cornelius' household, it's in no way some man-made fashion or contrived fashion. The Holy Spirit didn't patiently wait and step back, wait for Peter to finish his sermon, to pray, to do an altar call, and then come at Peter's bidding. No! God took the initiative. The Greek shows us in both these verses how the Holy Spirit basically cut Peter off. Yes, he had the chance to fully declare the gospel as as Eldon preached just last week, 
But God took the initiative in sending the Spirit and opening up the way of salvation and confirming that through even the outpouring of the gift of tongues. This is something that God is doing. So yes, we have that responsibility to turn from our sins, to accept this gift. But God also initiates that work of salvation. He is the one who gives that great gift. I want to close with one profound application to this truth. You see, all of us here have either friends or family who do not know Christ in a saving way. Were they to die this moment, there would be those two fates, eternity separated from God in hell or with God for all of eternity in heaven. And that should be something that bothers us, but it shouldn't be something that overwhelmingly burdens us. You know, we are called to faithfully pray for those who do not know Jesus. We're called to evangelize and witness and and tell people the good news of what Jesus has done for us. But it shouldn't be something that we take ultimately upon ourselves and that weighs us down and shackles us. You and I can't work in someone's heart. We can't open blind eyes to see the need for a savior. But God can, right? And so I encourage us as we live our lives on purpose to live with all we can seeking the salvation of the lost but to trust God's redemptive work. A few weeks ago, uh, I was at Greenpoint Bay, um, just on the side of Harrison Lake there, about six kilometers from the town. Beautiful little picnic area. There's a little beach there. And so I'd gone to the beach and was looking over the town of Harrison and started to get just overwhelmed and burdened for the town. And I remember telling God, God, I'm now the pastor of Harrison. Not that there aren't lots of other believers, but I'm the pastor of Harrison. How am I going to reach this community? It's a small town, but can't meet hundreds of people. What am I going to do, Jesus? And this, I was just taking this burden on myself. And I remember God just speaking to me and saying, Jeremy, it's it's not up to you, ultimately. Yeah, you work hard. You do your work. Be obedient to how I lead you. But ultimately, I'm the one that will work in these people's lives. I'm the one that will bring salvation. Trust me in that. So as we leave here this morning, my encouragement is that our attitude would be and our response would be that of the circumcision party. Not the, the criticism response at the beginning, but the response at the end where they glorified God, recognizing that God had opened up the way to grant his greatest gift to absolutely everyone. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for all that you've done for us. Thank you for taking our place uh, on the cross, Lord.
paying the price for our sins. And we thank you for how sometime after that and in the life of the early church, uh, you made it clear that um, this amazing gift was not just for the Jews who followed a certain set of rules. It's for everyone. Uh, It's for me. It's for everyone here this morning. God, as we seek to live our lives for you in in word and deed, uh, would you lead us, Lord, that we might be faithful prayers and and faithful witnesses um, of all that you've done. We love you dearly, and we pray all these things in your good name. Amen.